Section 38 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Patrick Randall. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Ségur. The Magnificat The Magnificat is the canticle of thanksgiving inspired by the Holy Ghost to the Blessed Virgin when, after the Annunciation, Mary went to visit her holy cousin Elizabeth, bearing in her virginal womb the incarnate Son of God. Elizabeth, at the age of nearly eighty years, had miraculously become the mother of the future precursor of the Messiah, and had been commanded by the angel Gabriel to give to this child of grace and benediction the mysterious name of John, signifying in Hebrew, full of grace. As soon as she perceived Mary, St. Elizabeth felt the infant leap in her womb for joy, coming forth to meet the Blessed Virgin, who represented the new alliance and the Christian Church, which possesses, contains, and gives Jesus to the world. Elizabeth represented the ancient alliance, the Jewish Church, mother of the prophets and of the precursor. The very approach of Jesus and of Mary, immediately filled with the Holy Ghost, both the Mother and the Son. St. John the Baptist was pre-sanctified, that is to say, cleansed from original sin in his mother's womb, just as from the beginning of the human race, Adam, Abel, Seth, Noah, Abraham, and the other holy patriarchs, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, David, Isaiah, and the other holy prophets, as well as all the faithful of the Old Testament, had been pre-sanctified by their faith and hope in the Christ who was to come. Elizabeth, enlightened interiorly as to the mystery of the Incarnation, and the divine maternity of Mary, adored Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mother, crying with humility and love, Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary, being also filled with the Holy Ghost, who, by the sacred indwelling of her divine Son, completely inundated her most pure soul, replied, Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul doth magnify the Lord. I glorify God the Father, who has chosen me for his spouse, and has made me the mother of his eternal Son, whom he eternally begets in his infinite glory. I glorify God the Son, who has become my Son, my child, whom I bear within me, to whom I give my flesh, my blood, and my own substance, who, perfect God as he is, my Creator and my Lord, 
is yet my little child, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I glorify God the Holy Ghost, who fills me with his light, with heavenly love, with all his gifts, with all his graces, who has rendered my virginity miraculously fruitful, and who has worked within me the ineffable mystery of the Incarnation, the central point of religion, the groundwork of creation, the salvation and redemption of sinners, the principle and the end of all things. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Et exultavit spiritus meus in Deo salutari meo. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Peace and joy dwell in the faithful souls where Jesus Christ reposes. The holiest soul is always the most peaceful, the most serene, and the most joyful. Love, peace, and joy, with patience, goodness, tenderness, constancy, gentleness, fidelity, modesty, purity, and chastity are the blessed fruits of the Spirit in a truly Christian soul. What then must have been the joy of the Blessed Virgin, that perfect joy of which Jesus himself was the most pure source, Jesus her Savior? Jesus was indeed most truly the Savior of Mary, not in the sense that he purified her as he purifies us from original and actual sin, and thus opened to her the gate of heaven, but in the sense that by his divine merits he preserved her absolutely from all stain, all sin, all imperfection. Quia respexit humilitatem ancille sue, because he hath regarded the humility of his handmaid. The Blessed Virgin was the humblest of all creatures, and for this reason was she chosen by God. She knew, and clearly saw by the light of faith, that she was nothing before God, that she depended absolutely upon him in soul and body, in mind and will, in all her powers, and in her very existence, and living in this perfect dependence, she annihilated and completely forgot herself in every detail of her life, so completely as to think only of God, to follow only the will of God, to live only for God, in one word, to belong to God alone, and that with a deep and tender love. Such is Christian humility, which seeth not itself from seeing only God, but which is regarded by God with divine complacency. The Blessed Virgin speaks of herself here and at all times as the handmaid of the Lord, and well might she call herself this. For this reason it was, and because of this truth, this justice, 
this simplicity that God chose her from amongst all others to be his glorious mother, the sovereign mistress of angels and of men, the queen of the church and the queen of heaven. The more meek and humble we are, so much the more will Jesus love and regard us with favor and dwell within our hearts. Ecce enim ex hoc beatam medicent omnes generationes. Beata means both holy and blessed. This is why the Church calls Mary both the Holy Virgin and the Blessed Virgin. All Christian generations from the first unto the last have called and are still calling and shall forever call her blessed, thus regarding, with transports of faith and hope and love, with perfect reverence and tender confidence, the mother of the Saviour, the mother of Jesus Christ, the mother of God. And now can it be that they who neither love nor honor her can form a part of the generations which, springing here below from the fruitful bosom of the church, are destined to become hereafter on the day of their true birth, which is the day of death, children in the heavenly home, children in the eternal kingdom, of which Mary is the well-beloved queen. Quia fecit mihi mania qui potens est. He that is mighty hath done great things unto me. Yes, verily, so great that no creature either in heaven or on earth shall be able to fathom the depth nor to comprehend the infinite and divine extent of these mysteries and graces. And yet all may be summed up in a single name, the holy name of Jesus. Behold what the blessed Trinity, the living God, in his almighty power and infinite goodness, hath done unto Mary. Jesus Christ, the mystery of mysteries, the beginning, the principle, the end of the natural order, of the spiritual order, and of the divine order, eternity in time, and time united to eternity, the divine life becoming our life, even ours, man becoming the Son of God, yea, becoming God, the only living God, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost reigneth for ever and ever. Behold what God hath done unto Mary, unto Mary the Mother of God. All other graces bestowed upon the Blessed Virgin are indeed but the consequence and the radiation of that fundamental grace which is her divine maternity or, in other words, the mystery of the Incarnation, even Jesus Christ. Et sanctum nomen eus, and holy is his name. Jesus is holy, he only is holy, 
the Holy One of God, who sanctifieth the saints. The Divine Son of Mary is the source of the holiness of the Church and of each one of her members. Mary herself, who gives Jesus to us, is the channel of all holiness and grace. Et misericordia eius a progenie in progenies timentibus eum. And his mercy is from generation to generation unto them that fear him, but not to the unbelieving and the indifferent, not to those who pass blameless in the eyes of the world, though they live as if there were no God, no Savior, and no church. We must fear God as well as love him. We must fear to offend him. We must fear his justice, even whilst we perfectly confide in the tenderness of his compassionate love. It is thus that Christians live, keeping their conscience pure from sin and hoping ever in the divine mercy. Thus they lived under the old dispensation even as under the new. And the mercy of God, which is but the grace of pardon and salvation brought into this world by Jesus Christ, was extended to the human race, a progenie in progenies, from Adam till the deluge, from Noah until Moses, from Moses until the Incarnation, from the Incarnation until the end of the world. Jesus Christ is the living mercy of God the Father, and it is the office of his Church, as well as of his Blessed Mother, to dispense this mercy and to prove herself the true Mother of mercy and love. Fecit potentiam in braccio suo, dispersit superbos mente cordis sui. God hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. The proud who have rebelled against God, thus obliging him to crush them with the strength of his arm, are, first of all, those rebel angels with Lucifer at their head who would neither submit nor obey. They said, Non serviam, I will not submit, to the Son of Mary, to the incarnate Word, to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the arm of God, the omnipotent minister of the Father's will, cast them down from heaven to hell. The proud are also those rebellious men who set themselves up in opposition to Jesus Christ, to his church, to his holy law, and causing earth to echo the fatal formula of hell, repeat also in their turn, either in words or in works, I will not obey. At the last judgment, the arm of God will be uplifted, to fall with terrible eternal weight upon every impenitent sinner. 
May the sweet and lowly Virgin Mary preserve us from the curse of pride, and may the arm of God, the sacred hand of Jesus, pierced by our iniquities, never be extended over our heads except to bless us and uplift us to the bosom of the Father. Deposuit potentes de sede, et exaltavit humiles. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble. This is but a repetition of the same thought. The mighty, whom Jesus Christ casts down and scatters like the dust, are fallen angels and sinful men, and the humble, whom he exalts, are those faithful Christians who suffer persecution for justice' sake and whom the world despises because they are like their master, meek and humble of heart. Esurientes implevit bonis, et divites dimisit inanes. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. In this world the disciples of the Saviour must pass through the furnace of penance, tribulation, and tears. We are fools for Christ's sake, said the Apostle St. Paul, deceivers and yet true, unknown and yet known, dying, and behold, we live, chastised and not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, having nothing, and possessing all things. But the worldly, who know not Jesus, do on the contrary appear rich whilst having nothing, powerful whilst they love only misery and vanity, happy whilst they have completely wandered from the path of happiness. Jesus is the only principle of true happiness the only source of joy. He bestows his imperishable gifts upon those who, for his love, renounce the fleeting pleasures of the world. And upon that day when he shall mete out justice, those worthless treasures which men amass with so much care shall be torn forever from their failing grasp. Ah, in eternity, how well we shall comprehend this twofold truth. He who has Jesus has everything. He who has not Jesus has nothing. Sushepit Israel puerum suum, recordatus misericordiae sue. He hath upholden his servant Israel, being mindful of his mercy. In the past, God chose a nation whom he treated as a favored servant and a well-beloved child. This nation, this Israel, was to give the Christ, the Lord, the Savior, to the other nations of the world. The Blessed Virgin clearly proclaims in the Magnificat that the time has arrived and that the day of glory has dawned upon Israel. Alas for the unhappy Jewish nation! 
A small number alone comprehended this glory, opened their eyes to the light of this glorious day, and reaped the blessed fruits of the mystery of mercy, of the incarnation and redemption of Jesus Christ. At the end of time, Israel, the prodigal child, shall return to the Father's home. Jesus, the good shepherd of the human race, shall receive it as he formerly received the Gentile nations, and will be mindful of his mercy, as is foretold by all the prophets and fathers of the Church. The Blessed Virgin, who forms the meeting point between the Old Testament and the New, establishes and renews this consoling prophecy, the fulfillment of which commenced by the first coming of the Savior, and will be perfectly accomplished by the conversion of the Jews. For the divine canticle terminates with these words, Sicut locutus es dad patres nostros, Abraham et seminieus in secula. As he spake unto our fathers, to Abraham and his seed for ever. The Lord who had thus promised to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth should be blessed, namely, in the Christ who was to spring from his race, was indeed he who, now incarnate in the womb of Mary, was soon to give himself to the world through her, and thus partly to accomplish the prophecies which he had himself inspired ad patres nostros. And at the end of time, it will be again through Mary, the Immaculate Virgin, that Jesus Christ will complete the accomplishment of all that the Scriptures foretell. He will make her the channel of the grace which shall convert the Jews and sanctify in a marvelous way the faithful of the latter days. And he will reign, first here below and then in heaven, with his blessed mother, unto all eternity in secula. The Magnificat is part of the Gospel of St. Luke, and is taken from the second chapter. It is a prayer which is wholly divine, and should be often sung and recited. And, after communion, when the same Lord who dwelt with Mary when she uttered this holy canticle is dwelling also in your heart, you cannot choose a better act of thanksgiving than the Magnificat. End of section 38